I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. It is a preview Friday, and our special guest today is Al Galdi. Al, how are you? Hey, good, man. Appreciate you having me on. I always love having you on. You're always good with your time to us, and we appreciate it. Uh, Al, you've been in the with the podcast, the Al Galdi Podcast, over 200 episodes now, over a year in. I'm I'm curious. It's been wildly successful, but I'm, I'm curious. What is the difference that you find between it and the radio? Are there things that you miss, of course? Um, you know, there are some things, but I'll be honest with you. I don't miss radio that much, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But um, and I would say, like, in terms of doing radio, I miss some of the interaction with callers. I think, you know, that – uh, can be a very valuable thing and, a, and a, a fun thing and an eye-opening thing. You know, you can certainly learn from listening to other people. But I also think callers can be a crutch. I think a lot of radio hosts use callers as a crutch and as a means of filling time. You know, like you have a three-hour or four-hour show to do, and so you say, well, let's just take calls for a few segments. I'm telling you, that's what a lot of hosts do, and uh, I don't think it's the most entertaining radio. Now, I think sometimes it can be. But you get a lot of callers who are repetitive. You get a lot of the same callers over and over. And so, you know, I, I miss that, but I miss it to an extent. I certainly miss some of the people. I mean, that's for sure. But right. I just think there are a lot of advantages to podcasting. Um, you know, you you do things at your own leisure. You are not beholden to other people. You, you know, like if something doesn't work or does work, like that's on you. You know what I mean? Like you're not at the mercy of having to do things sometimes that you're like, I don't think that that makes sense. But, you know, you're being made to do it. You know, you're you're uh, you're freed from like a time slot. So like people listen whenever they want to listen, which I think is a more natural way of doing audio content. I, the, the comparison I keep making for people is radio is like cable television and podcasting is like streaming, you know, and. I don't think cable TV is ever going to go away, just like I don't think radio is ever going to go away. But I think that streaming for television, that's the future. In a lot of ways, that's the present. And I think that podcasting is in a lot of ways the same way. So um, I, I've enjoyed it a lot. I've been surprised and humbled by the success. And, you know, I certainly don't want to, like, declare victory or anything. You know, I mean, I'm just getting going here, but uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. So, Had you thought about using a co-host or had you always planned on when it was time to move on and do the podcast, you'd go out solo on that deal? Does it make it easier to have a to have a co-host? Yeah, you know, it's kind of uh, six and one half dozen in the other. I mean, it, it, it depends on kind of how you want to do things. My vision for the podcast was to make it something different and to make it something that I could put out early each morning because I feel like there's a void with that, that you don't have a lot of shows or podcasts that do that. And so in order to be taping late night slash early morning, in order to put things out when I wanted to put them out, it was going to be really hard to do a show with someone because then at that point you are, you know, having to work with someone's schedule, you know, things of that nature. The, the beauty of this is, you know, I can do it from home and I can do it when it's convenient for me. So I record at, you know, all kinds of times. I have two young kids. So it's like when I get the chance, I do it. If I was doing the show with somebody else, it would be, oh, hey, can you do this now? No. All right. Well, let's try to do it later. That would just be that would be tough. So, um, you know, I try to have on a lot of guests. I try to make it so that, you know, it's just not just, you know, my voice for 60 minutes every show. Like I try to use a lot of audio clips and things of that nature. But, you know, I think it, it's like a lot of things. 
either way can work. Like I think a solo show, if done properly, can work. I think a show with two people, three people, four people can work. I don't think there's one way to do what we do. I, I think there are a lot of ways to do what we do. I, I think uh, a trap that people get sucked into is when they are insistent on, well, it has to be this way or it has to be that way. It doesn't have to be any way. It just has to be good. And whatever good is, good comes in many forms. You know, So if you just make it good and entertaining and you can uh, draw an audience, then it's good. And uh, you know that's just kind of the goal with all this. I'm curious, how long the show usually is around an hour. How long is the show sheet that you write up for that? And how long does it take to put together? Oh, it takes, I mean, each day I'm putting in, uh, I'd say like six to eight hours in terms of like research and coming up with ideas and then recording it and things like that. And, you know, I enjoy it. So like, I don't want to make this sound like, oh, I work so hard. Like, you know, everyone works hard. Everyone has a job and, you know, you, you put in a lot of time and effort. Uh, into that but I mean it's definitely work in a lot of ways it's more work than radio because I'm handling uh, the guest booking and the taping and the editing and the posting and things like that but you know not to be cliche but it's it's a labor of love like that's one of the things about this it's like this is your baby you know like this is you're not a part of something that again you don't always have control over and you know there are things that you're like why are we doing this but you know you don't have a say in it you don't run the company so with this it's like i mean i do work with a company but i have total creative freedom and i have total freedom to put the thing out as often as i like i do put it out five days a week just because i think that again you know you're trying to create something and create a listening habit for people but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, as you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not as simple as sitting down, hitting record, and then you're done in 30 minutes. Like if only it were that easy, it's not that easy. There's a little more to it than that. That that was the only reason I asked, because I, I don't think that the average person watching or listening to one of these realizes the amount of time it takes, particularly with the editing uh, that a show like yours with all the clips takes. So I, I just, I, I think people will be surprised when they hear the number. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I don't like to do the thing of, oh, we work so hard. I hate no. when the media do that. It's like nobody no. nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear that. But, yeah, I mean, the editing takes time. You know, it takes time. You want to come up with things to say. You want to formulate how you want to say what you're going to say. And especially with the team that we talk about, there's stuff happening all the time. So, you know, you have to sort of wait for the day to happen before you start doing the show because, you know, you don't know what's going to pop up with the football team. I mean, it could feel like a nothing day. And then, you know, at 4.30 in the afternoon, something big comes down. There's a post article or, you know, there's a transaction that's announced and like everything gets it's uh, shaken up. It's exciting in that way. But, you know, you have to definitely maintain like a flexibility and an ability to adjust and pivot because, you know, the news sort of dictates and governs what the show is going to be. Well, and it's interesting that you had said as far as like with the co-host, because you're recording so late and it didn't even dawn on me because you put the show out at five in the morning. If you had done it, you know, the news cycle is pretty much over by the time you are recording, which means that you haven't burned through the, the news the previous day. If you were recording at say like four o'clock the previous day to put it out five o'clock in the morning the next day. Yeah, that's the thing. Like with rare exception, if something is going to happen, it's going to happen during the workday or in the evening. You know, maybe late at night you get some Adam Schefter report or something like that. But, you know, between, say, midnight and 5 a.m., there usually ain't that much happening. And so at least by then, you know, OK, this is what we're working with for this show. And then, you know, when you get it out and I put it out, like you said, in the 5 a.m. hour, 
it holds for at least a little while. Like it's not usual right. to have things happening 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. So hopefully at least until the afternoon the following day, the show is still relevant. So, you know, I, I've tried to push that aspect of it too. It's almost like a pseudo live show because what you're getting is something that was just recorded. And so it's like you're listening to a show talking about exactly what's happening right now as opposed to something that was taped days ago and, you know, becomes uh, almost obsolete within it. Uh, you know, the 12, 14, 24 hour period. It's amazing. Now the news cycle moves so quickly and like you can do something on a Monday and it's irrelevant by Wednesday. It's, it's nuts that it's like that, but that's really the way that things are right now. Let's talk about the team for a little bit. Uh, is the team, is the team this year where you thought they'd be coming off the year they had last year? Uh, I'd say no. I, I'm still overall a little bit shook with this defense. It's still bothersome to me that the first eight games defensively went as those eight games went. Now, you know, the defense over the next five games, the four-game winning streak and then the loss to the Cowboys was good. So it was really nice to see that. You know, but then we saw what we saw in the loss at the Eagles on Tuesday night. Now, Washington was missing a lot of guys for that game, so I don't want to put too much stock into that game. But you know, the way that this season was supposed to work was the defense was going to lead the way. And while the defense has been better since we moved into the month of November, I, you know, I, you can't just erase those first eight games. And we have to see how these remaining three games go. If the defense continues to struggle down the stretch of the season, you know, then you really have to ask some questions about things. So overall, the defense has been a disappointment, but it has been good to see it at least be better for the most part lately. You know, offensively, it's hard to judge because, you know, you've had so many injuries. And again, the way this was supposed to work with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas, you know, we haven't had those guys for most of the season. And so it's like, well, this has been a makeshift offense for pretty much the entire season at this point. Now, would you have liked to have seen more offensive success this season? Yes. Uh, am I disappointed in certain guys on the offense? I mean, yes, so far, you know, obviously Curtis Samuel, you know, there was a lot of hype. And I, I don't look at this season as a disaster or anything like that. Uh, I think there have been a number of encouraging developments. The play of the offensive line, despite all the injuries, you know, all these backups coming in and doing well has been good to see. Um, you know, Taylor Heineke has been a positive. There have been other positives as well. But yeah, I mean, you would have liked for there to have been more on-field success this season. Now, we'll see what happens over the final three games. But for now, you know, I think a, a lot of us looked at this team and said, all right, maybe nine and eight, maybe 10 and seven, if like everything goes well. And you've never really been in that spot this season. It feels like you've been playing from behind you know, you've been playing catch up for most of this year. Some of that's out of the team control, but some of that, especially with the defense over the first eight games, was very much in the team's control. The defense was healthy for the most part over those first eight games and just was a major disappointment. Is that defense, is that coaching arrogance? The first eight games for the defense, was that them saying the scheme works, just do it? Not putting guys, I mean, we waited so long to put Landon Collins in a spot where I think most of the fan base realized he wasn't playing in the right spot. Even Landon Collins, I think, in the last week or two, he said, eh, maybe if this is the deal, you know, that's not so bad, right? And so whose fault is that? I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I think specific to Landon, 
I think that Ron and maybe Jack too, although I wouldn't be so surprised if there was a divide on this, wanted to give Landon a shot to play safety his way, which they should not have done. They should have said, this is the way you play because this is how you're going to play best. Landon was given that shot. Remember, he barely, well, he played a little bit last year. Then he suffered the, the ruptured Achilles and he was not good last year. For whatever reason, he was given this chance to be uh, what he had been as a safety. I guess, you know, they felt like he looked so good in the preseason and in training camp and the results obviously were not good. I actually think, though, that's a function of like the opposite of coaching arrogance. There should have been more arrogance. There should have been more of an insistence of it. I don't care that you want to do safety your way. You're going to do it our way because we think you can excel that way. And sure enough, he is excelling or at least is doing better right now in this, uh, you know, Buffalo nickel drop down safety role, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I think things like the Chase Young Montez sweat thing, which is still kind of mysterious. But, you know, I think by now we get a sense of they were playing in an undisciplined fashion, especially Chase Young. You know, that's a disconnect between Ron and Jack and Chase and Montez. Now, what the root cause of that disconnect is, I don't know. But it's pretty clear that there is a disconnect there. I mean, this is an uncomfortable thing for some people. But the fact that the defense's four best games of the season were four games without Montez Sweat at all and mostly without Chase Young says a lot. And that's not to say that Washington is better off without Chase Young and Montez Sweat. But like, you know, you're whistling past the graveyard if you don't acknowledge that and you don't look at that and say to yourself, geez, that's bizarre. The two best players on the defense are out and the defense plays at its best. And it's not like the defense played a bunch of Ben DiNucci's during that stretch. The defense played Tom Brady. The defense played Russell Wilson. The defense played Derek Carr. That Raiders passing offense was the best deep passing offense in the NFL at the time. And Washington's defense did a really good job on that Raiders offense. So, you know, I think moving forward, and this is more of an offseason thing, but there are some real questions that need to be asked about what happened here with Chase and Montez. And, you know, if they're not adhering to the defensive scheme, well, why is that? And is that going to change here? You know, I do think that that's something, not that Chase Young suffering a torn ACL is a good thing, but something that may be good that can come out of it is maybe it humbles him a little bit. And maybe he comes yeah. back and does things Ron's way. Chase Young is too talented to have the pedestrian season that he was having. And it's not just a sacks thing. If you look at a lot of the advanced numbers, Chase Young was not having a great season. Last season, the advanced numbers revealed Chase to have had a really good rookie year. This season, the advanced numbers, for the most part, did not reveal that. So it's not just like he had one and a half sacks. It's also a lot of other things, too, that he the, the production just wasn't there. So um, I think that's what a lot of the defensive struggles early on were about. I also think the secondary was a mess over the first eight games. A lot of that, I suppose, just had to do with guys getting used to playing with each other. The secondary overall has been a lot better lately. I think there are some questions, though, to be asked moving forward of, you know, Washington did make a number of changes to the secondary in the offseason. And, you know, the changes at the time made sense. So I don't want to be uh, phony about this. I applauded the signing of William Jackson III. I applauded the signing of Bobby McCain. But when you're bringing in all of these major new pieces to a secondary, I think we maybe underestimated how long it can take for guys to get on the same page. It looks like they're on the same page now. And uh, the secondary has been much better. The secondary has been the most improved unit on Washington in terms of where it was at in week one versus where it's gotten to over the last month. Basically, since they moved Reeves or not Reeves, but uh, Fuller outside. And yeah. I was stunned by that because that is not what I expected. Uh, I think we had talked about this before. Uh, I thought he was perfect in the nickel and would be better there. Uh, turns out he the whole thing was better once they moved him outside. 
it's odd, and it's also coincided the defensive improvement with something like Danny Johnson playing more. Like, yes. raise your hand if you expected that. Danny Johnson being a part of a defensive turnaround. But, you know, we saw this last year with a guy like DeShazer Everett and then Jeremy Reeves being a part of the defensive turnaround. You never know. And I do give Ron and Jack credit in that regard. They have not been shy about making changes over these last two years. I mean, they were wrong about Troy Apke last season. And instead of staying stuck on stupid, they benched him and they put in DeShazer and then DeShazer got hurt and they put in Jeremy Reeves and things worked out much better. You know, this season, Benjamin St. Just, and I don't know how much of this was the concussion stuff with him, but his playing time went down and Danny Johnson's went up and the def the defense has been better since then. So, you know, you never know with this stuff. The Landon Collins thing is another example of that, even though, like we said, that's a change that should have been made uh, a while ago. So um, I, I, I am encouraged by that. But, you know, you want you really would like it to be that the defense is like this throughout the season. That's what was supposed to be the case. And it hasn't been the case. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that's something that needs to be evaluated again come the end of the season. Last one on the defense. Uh, would you be more surprised if Jack is the uh, defensive coordinator next year or less surprised? So if you'd have asked me that prior to the four-game winning streak, I would have said more surprised. I, I thought that there was a good chance that he might be out. Uh, now I tend to think that it's more likely that he's back than he's not back. Now, I've gotten a weird vibe between Ron and Jack. Jack, I, I don't know. Take shots at the coach, right? Yeah, I've talked about that. I mean, I, I you know, and maybe they're like, good-natured shots. They don't really come off that way, though. They come off like Jack doesn't like that Ron says so much at his press conferences because mm -hmm. Jack says nothing at his press conferences. And Jack has uh, often said things like, well, Coach may talk about that, but I'm not going to talk about that. So I found that to be interesting. You know, you've also had the thing of on a coaching staff filled with former Panthers assistants, Jack is not one of them. Jack, it's, 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 uh, it's still interesting that Jack ended up being the D.C. here because there was no prior tie to Ron Rivera. So it, it felt like, all right, if someone's going to be out, especially with the defense struggling, maybe it is Jack. But I do like Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator. His track record is impressive. He's coached up a lot of good defenses over the years, you know, with Denver and Carolina prior to Ron and uh, with the Raiders and the Jaguars. And so I was really excited when Washington hired him. And I do give Jack credit because it feels like he's figured it out with this defense as this season has gone on. But you know, if the defense is bad over the remaining three regular season games, maybe we are back to the discussion of Jack being out after this year. But for now, I'd say Jack is probably back. And I would prefer that. Like I said, I like him. And I don't think changing coordinators, unless you really have to, is the way to go. You want to have some continuity here. You know, we just talked about the secondary getting used to playing with each other. If next season all of these defensive players have to get used to an entirely new defensive scheme, uh, that, to me, would not bode well for the defense getting off to a great start in 2022. All right. If, we, if we're if we back with, you know, Heineke or a Fitzpatrick, I mean, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Can they keep kicking the can down the road on a quarterback? Or do they have to plunge into the draft this year? Well, I think they – only have to if they really like what's available to them. What I, I don't want them to just take a quarterback to take a quarterback. I want them to take a quarterback who they feel like has a real shot to be a franchise guy. See, this to me is the wild card in all of this quarterback conversation. What do Ron and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney and Chris Polian and Scott Turner and Ken Zampezi think of this quarterback class? We know that it is not 
a quarterback class that a lot of people are in love with. But we also know that just because the quarterback class overall isn't viewed as being outstanding doesn't mean that there can't be some really good quarterbacks within the class. People are wrong on these quarterbacks all of the time. All of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is actually going to be a really exciting pre-draft process in 2022 for us as Washington fans. And so I would love to know, because you know that Washington has studied these guys, you know, maybe not uh, has gone all in on these guys just yet, but what do Marty and Martin and Ron and Polian, et cetera, think about Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral and Sam Howell? Do those guys for Washington like one or more of those quarterbacks or is Washington is down on this quarterback class as a lot of other people are. If Washington is really in on some of these guys, then yeah, make it a point to trade up or do what you have to do to take a quarterback in the first round of the upcoming draft. But if you don't like these guys, don't just do it to do it. Um, you know, I, I hate the idea of kicking the can down the road again, but I, I even more hate the idea of giving up draft capital just to take a quarterback who you don't believe in. Uh, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, so many of these trade-ups in recent first rounds of NFL drafts to take quarterbacks don't work. So you have to have reasonable certainty on a guy or at least have reasonable faith in a guy to give up what it's going to take to move up in a draft to take someone who you really like. Now, you know, the ideal scenario would be whoever you like falls to you, but it doesn't always work out that way. That's always the thing, by the way, about the Dwayne Haskins thing in 2019 it, if, if he works out, that's so beautiful. He fell to you. Yes. And you took him in that spot. That was like perfect. If you remember the reaction that night, people were doing cartwheels over Washington's draft that night, in part because Askins fell to them. There was all this talk of Washington trading up to take Dwayne. He fell to them. Now, he ended up being a disaster, as we all know. But if he wasn't, that would have been such a, a great development, the way that it worked out, him falling to you like that. So, you know, we'll see how the draft boards end up shaking out. But I, I think that's the way to approach quarterback this offseason. What does Washington think of the guys in the draft? I don't have a lot of faith in, you know, an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson coming here. And I'm not that enthused about getting a Mitchell Trubisky or somebody like that. I mean, you know, I don't know if they love him or what, but it's hard for me to think that Trubisky would be that much better than, say, Taylor Heineke right. in year two as a Washington starting quarterback. So, you know, if that, that's a good thing about Heineke. If you don't have someone who you like in this upcoming draft, going with Heineke again next year isn't the end of the world. Um, but yes, I mean, you do need to try to aim high and take a big swing and get a franchise guy if that reasonable possibility exists to you. Well, and the crazy thing about the uh, draft class, you only need to have one quarterback you like, you know, and then you can trade up and get them. What about guys in that next tier, you know, like a, like a, a Ryan uh, or a Winston? Guys like that interest you over what we have in-house? Uh, Winston, not really. Um, Matt Ryan, not really. Just because it's not – well, look, in, in the NFL, what is the long term, right? But I have – it's hard for me to get super excited about giving up what it might take to get a Matt Ryan, assuming you have to trade for him. And then you bring in someone who's in his, what, late 30s, and he's in his declining years. It doesn't mean that he couldn't be good for a season or two. But, you know, we tried that with Donovan McNabb. We tried that with Alex Smith. I, I just think when you bring in an older quarterback like that, 
you're just sort of waiting for the dam to break. You know, you don't have a guy who's on the ascent. You have a guy who's on the descent. And I just think that that's a dangerous way to do things. If Washington was in more of a win now scenario, then I think something like Matt Ryan might make some more sense. But otherwise, to me, you really want to get someone who's young, who's on the upswing and who has upside and who has the potential to be your franchise guy for years. Like that's the way I think to attack this because this is going to be year three for Ron Rivera. And at some point he's going to need to start showing major progress and significant success. And so if you do the Matt Ryan thing for a season or two, like then what, you know? So again, it, a lot of this hinges on what Washington makes of this quarterback draft class, but assuming that Washington likes one or more of these guys, I think that's the way to attack this offseason. And, you know, if if you somehow could land, say, Kenny Pickett, and you go into next season with Kenny Pickett, Taylor Heineke, and Kyle Allen, I think you can work with that. Like, I think you could get people excited about things with that. And, you know, I think you would at least have some more defined direction at quarterback. And a little excitement for a, a brand rollout, you know what I mean, is yeah. never a bad thing. Um Antonio Gibson, I mean, am I crazy that they need to draft running back, like a running back one, and get Antonio Gibson? I'm not suggesting that his touches need to diminish. I'm just not sure that RB1 touches. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't want him to lose touches. I want them to use him differently and draft a running back that actually can slam through holes for 25 touches a game. Yeah, it's tricky with Gibson because some of the stuff out there on him, like some of the advanced stuff suggests that he's been better than people realize over these first two seasons. But then other things tell you the exact opposite. His yards per carry this season on what pro football focus classifies as perfectly blocked runs, it's not good. And look, he's been banged up. Yeah, now he's been banged up a lot this year. So I'm sympathetic to him in that regard. But that's the other thing. He's been banged up a lot over these first two seasons. You know, he had the toe last season. He had the shin earlier this season. Now he has the toe again this season. And to your point, it's been odd. He was a receiver running back at Memphis. He's not the pass-catching force in the NFL that we were hoping he would be. Um, you know, all of this Christian McCaffrey stuff with him going into this season, he's not McCaffrey, okay? He's not being used like McCaffrey. Washington's number one pass-catching running back the last two seasons has been J.D. McKissick. That's and they need, they're going to have to resign him. That's going to be interesting. Um, now, I don't – to me, you should never spend big money on a running back. I don't think you're going to have to to resign J.D. McKissick. But, yeah, do you resign McKissick or does Washington feel like it's going to find someone uh, in the draft? But, yeah, I, I think running back is going to have to be addressed in some form or fashion. I, I, you know, to me, you don't do running back, like, in the first round for sure. No. You, may, you maybe don't even do it in the second round there's something there with Gibson. Like he's not a lost cause or anything like that, but he's not this overwhelming dynamic offensive weapon that we were hoping that he would be. And I'm not sure that that's going to change beyond this season. Like this kind of just may be who he is. He's not a bad player, but he's not a great player. You know, he's not giving you the explosive plays. That's the other thing we thought he would bring to Washington that hasn't happened so far. Um, so yeah, they're going to probably have to do something at back, especially uh, if they don't re-sign J.D. McKissick. You know, there's going to have to be someone who's brought in, probably via the draft, to be a part of that running back mix for next year. A couple more and we'll let you run on see what time is. Um, 
What's uh, I am a fan of Scott Turner. Are you? I am. I mean, I know it sounds probably odd to some people because it's not like Washington's offense has set the world on fire the last two years, but I do like a lot of what Scott does. You know, he throws a lot on first downs, which I think is the way you need to be in 2021. Uh, he uses a lot of motion, which I think, again, is something you need to do a lot of in 2021. I think when we've seen Scott have a quarterback who knows his system, we've seen offense that's pretty good. You know, Kyle Allen last year, Taylor Heineke this year. You know, that playoff game against the Bucks, Scott schemed guys who were screaming wide open in that game. Scott outcoached Todd Bowles to me in that game. But like there's an overall body of work that you do have to say, well, the offense the last two seasons has not been very good. And, you know, there are things that you see and you do question, like this Terry McLaurin thing right now with the last four games, him having just nine catches in 19 targets. I understand Scott's working with far less than a full deck of offensive weaponry right now because of the COVID-19 situation and the injuries. But you as an OC have got to figure out a way to get your top receiver more touches than that. And, you know, so there's stuff like that that's a little bothersome. You know, like I, I haven't broken down the numbers, but I would bet that Terry McLaurin's number of first quarter receptions this season is really low. He just he never seems to be a factor right away. It always seems like it takes time to get Terry McLaurin involved. Uh, you don't see that with other great receivers on other great offenses. To those who watch the Steelers, at the peak of Antonio Brown, every game Pittsburgh targeted Brown, you know, 14, 15, 16 times. Everyone knew Brown was going to be targeted. And yet every game, the Steelers got his hands on football. So, you know, there's some of that. The other thing, too, and this is kind of an odd thing, but Scott Turner, for whatever reason, on second and longs this season, calls running plays. He's done this a lot. He did this on Tuesday night, second and 10 runs for Antonio Gibson. I, I don't know. That that to me has been kind of bothersome. But look. The worst playing football. Yeah. It, I mean, it's always easy to nitpick. Overall, I like Scott Turner. But I think like most people, I do have some questions. Howard, there's a, there's a couple games left. The playoffs seem ridiculously out of reach. But how many games do you think they have left this season? Wins. That, yeah, wins. Yeah. How many wins do you think they've got left this season? Well, I hope it's either three or zero. I, I don't I don't see any benefit in going one and two or two and one the rest of the way, assuming that you have to get to nine and eight to make the playoffs. All right. I, I know there's a scenario under which they could be eight and nine and make the playoffs. That seems really unlikely. So I want them to either win out and make the postseason or lose out because the middle ground there to me just does you no good. So uh, if I had to bet on one scenario more than another, it would be on Washington losing out. But I think chances are what happens is Washington goes one and two or two and one the rest of the way. Now, I would not entirely dismiss the idea of Washington winning out. Uh, this is a team that plays hard. I think Ron Rivera does his best work late in regular seasons. And, you know, if Washington somehow pulls off the win at Dallas on Sunday night, I'm not expecting that. But if Washington does do that, then I think it's on the rest of the season. I mean, you know, this NFL makes no sense, as we know. The Lions beat the Cardinals last Sunday. So it's like you should never dismiss anything from happening. Like the, the, the stuff now of like Washington has no chance of the playoffs. Like you said, the chances have gone down. But who the heck knows, man? Who the heck knows? I mean, would Washington winning out be any more unlikely than Washington having that four-game winning streak earlier this season? I don't think sure. so. So, you know, I think it's possible. But – in terms of like what's in the best long-term interest for the Washington football team, 
I think it's you either win out and make the postseason or you lose out and get the highest uh, pick possible in the first round of the 2022 draft. Al, it's always fun talking football with you, man. I appreciate you coming on uh, the Al Gaudi podcast. Uh, for those that don't know, I don't know who wouldn't know that, but happy holidays, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on, and happy holidays to you. Thanks, Al. Hey, no problem, man. Have a great day. You too.